going to do a whole series on Nehemiah, but I changed my mind. <laughs> because what we're doing this week um, is, is taking a week of prayer and fasting. Um, there's, inside your bulletin, there's an inside bulletin, which is all about that. And, and in the middle there, it's got, what exactly are we praying and fasting for? Um, have a read through that. What does it involve? How do I do this? I, I, I don't know. Read through that. Uh, ask me. There's, the main points are highlighted on the little one inside your bulletin as well. But you know, after last week's sermon and service, I, I thought a bit and I thought, you know what? We've, we've heard a little bit about Nehemiah's fast in Nehemiah chapter 1. Remember, uh, he heard about the state of Jerusalem and, and the state of the, the people who had returned from exile and he was driven to, to weeping and praying and fasting for about four months. We've heard a little bit about that, but what is fasting actually all about? And I thought to myself that then in my 29 years of being a Christian, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on the topic of fasting. And I guess it's not a strange thing because it's not one of the big Bible topics. It's not something that that appears on every page. It's not certainly not about grace. It's not about salvation. It's, it's about spiritual discipline. And, and yet it's something which, which, although God doesn't command it for us, it's something He expects of us. And I want to argue today that it's something which is of such value in our Christian lives and in our walk with Jesus. So let's begin. Let's, let's just say, what is fasting? Uh, most simple level, most, well, what is fasting? Let's, let's ask. John, what would you say fasting is? Going without food for a purpose. Yeah. That's most of us, when we think fasting, we think going without food. As, as the video showed us, we can also fast from, from other stuff as well. But usually it's going without food because food is one of our basic needs and desires. Um, God created us with stomachs so that we can eat and we have enjoyment in eating, um, some of us a bit more than others. Uh, it's a good thing and, and, and fasting is, is stopping that and saying I'm not going to eat because I've got something else that I want to focus on. And the idea is that instead of eating, we'll take that time with Christian fasting and we'll spend it with God. We'll, we'll have extended times in His Word. We'll pray. We'll be deliberate. We'll, we'll approach God. I, I've got a bit of a a mind that gets stuck on one track and then just goes for it. There have been a number of times when I've been sitting at my desk and I sit there down in the morning and at 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening I think, you know what, I should really get up and do something else now. I get so engrossed in what I'm doing. I enjoy what I'm doing so much that the idea of stopping to have lunch 
or breakfast or, or dinner or whatever just, just isn't in there. The enjoyment of what I'm doing overrides the enjoyment of eating food. And in a sense, that is what Christian fasting is about as well. It's, it's about the enjoyment of God overriding the joy of anything else. So, that, that's just a, a very brief introduction. I'm sure most of you already knew most of that about fasting. But, but the real question, which I think we have to ask ourselves as Christians today, is whether fasting is actually something that we should do. I mean, isn't fasting an Old Testament thing? Isn't fasting something that they did way back when? Most of the times when we hear about fasting, it's in the Old Testament. Um, let me give you a few examples. In Nehemiah 1, we, we saw last week, Nehemiah fasting because he wanted God to act. Ezra, uh, in Ezra chapter 8, he fasts because he wants God to protect him as he goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, in Exodus, as Moses is going up to get the Ten Commandments, he fasts because he's spending time with God. Second uh, Samuel uh, we see the whole nation of Israel fasting for Saul and Jonathan who have died in battle. They, they're fasting because they're in mourning. Uh, later on in, in 2 Samuel, we see David fasting because of, of the, the, the child who he had with Bathsheba uh, by killing her husband off. You, you know that whole incident? David fasted because he longed for this child to not die. Esther, chapter 4, there's... Esther calls for the nation of Israel in exile to fast for her as she prepares to go to the king and risk her life to save the nation of Israel. Book of Joel. God says through Joel to the nation of Israel, fast and repent. book of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah, the city of Nineveh? Who so angered God that he sent Jonah to tell them, look, I'm going to wipe you out because you're pathetically bad sinners. What did they do? They put ash and, and sackcloth over themselves and they fasted. Even their animals fasted. They fasted because they wanted to to say to God, look how sorry we are. Look how sorry we are that we have fallen short of your glory, that we are such sinners, we are repentant. Look, so much are we sorry that we will give up on the necessities of life because we have wronged you, God. Most of the times that we read about fasting and prayer in the Old Testament, it's, it's either fasting because of mourning or fasting for repentance. And anyone here who's lost a loved one understands why you fast when you're mourning. You, you, you don't eat because you don't have an appetite. Because it feels wrong to enjoy food when a loved one is gone. But you know, in the Old Testament, there's, there's actually only 
well, there are two fasts which God says you will fast. One of them is the fast in Joel, which is a one-off fast for the people uh, in that time. The other one is the fast on the Day of Atonement. You remember the Day of Atonement is that day once a year where the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled blood on, on the, the mercy seat. This was the day when the whole nation of Israel went to God and said, God, we have sinned, would you forgive us? This is the day when, says, looking forward, when God says, looking forward to the death of my son and, and the sacrifice of this blood which is poured out on the mercy seat, on this day I will forgive you. But you know, as we read about this, this day of atonement, we're told that, that, that in the land of Israel, no one was allowed to eat that whole day. If you were Jewish, you weren't allowed to eat. You'd be excommunicated from the people if you ate on the Day of Atonement. In fact, the Bible goes a little bit further. It says, if you were just visiting, if you were an alien in the land, you were not allowed to eat on the Day of Atonement. Why? So that the people then would take it seriously. So that they would recognize that the, the dealing of, their, of God with their sins is not something light. It's not something that they can, oh yeah, God's dealt with my sins, let's have a Big Mac. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy day, a heavy moment. Fasting is usually heavy. It's, it's that side of our faith which is heavy. <laughs> probably why I don't like talking about it a lot, and, and probably why I haven't done a sermon on it before, because it's not pleasant. It's, it's not joy and happiness and lightness. But is it Christian? There's a Bible reading that, that I forgot to ask Reg to read, and it's, it's a fantastic reading uh, in Luke, part of, of the infant narratives of Jesus. Let me have a read to you of this over here. At that time, this is chapter 2, verse uh, 25, 26, 27, uh, we, we, we find Mary and Joseph coming to Jerusalem uh, to do what the law required for Jesus. Um, and, and basically... They arrive there, and this man, Simeon, who is someone who has been waiting for God to, to work and to save, he meets him there. Listen to what he says. He, take, he took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Down to verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Her husband died when, when they had been married only seven years. And then she had lived to, as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and with prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. 
She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Israel. You know, I love this passage because it's, here we find Simeon and Anna sort of on the cusp uh, at the start of a new age in history. They are, if you will, the last of the Old Testament fasters, except they're in the New Testament. They're the last of Old Testament fasters. They're the last of the Old Testament prophets. Um, we, we don't actually get told much about Anna. All we're told is that she's, she's somewhat old. Uh, she's probably about 84. Some translations, you can actually say she's 105. Here is a woman who got married probably at about the age of 13. That's when you got married back then. She lived with her husband for seven years. He died. She's 20 years old. What does she do? I'd imagine at 20 she could probably remarry. But she doesn't. Instead, she goes to the temple. She goes to church. She spends so much time at church that, that, that Luke here writes and, and can say she, she, just, she was at the church all the time. She was constantly at the temple. Praying. And fasting. Because for her, the most important thing in life was the expectation, the hope that God would act to save his people. That God would act to save the nation. Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. She is waiting for, for the same thing. And I think she... what. What, what Anna was waiting for is summed up by what Simeon prophesies, what Simeon prays to God in, in those verses 29 to 32. Here is Anna and Simeon who has been longing for peace. Here is Anna and Simeon who have been longing for salvation. It's verse 29. Here is Anna and Simeon, verse 31 who has been just longing for God's people to be vindicated in front of the world. Here is Anna and Simeon, verse 32, the second half, just just spending all of her time just longing for God to be glorified. Longing for, for the people of God to be glorified. This is what drove, I believe, Anna, whose name, by the way, means grace. This is what drove Anna to spend 84 years in the temple praying and fasting. Our longing for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And, and I'm sure we'd all say, yeah, we want that to happen, but, but Anna wanted it so much. She wanted it so, so much. She's probably what we would call a kook these days. Bit of a weirdo. What a fantastic weirdo. 
so driven by a vision of what God is going to do. And I just love the way, we're not told it, but, but I don't think she fasted after this. You know, all those years of fasting and praying, and it finishes, I, I believe, with, with her encountering Christ in the temple. All of those tearful, mourning, weeping fasts that she's endured for the past 84 years, and she comes and she sees Christ, and it's like a light bulb goes off in her head, and, and she just goes up and says, yes, Simon, you're so right. Oh, okay, have you heard? Look, there he is, the Savior, the one who has come to redeem his people. She goes to everyone who has been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. That waiting expectantly is, is, the, is the definition of why she was fasting, because she waited so expectantly for God to save. It meant everything to her. Just like last week, uh, the sad state of Jerusalem meant everything to Nehemiah and drove him to his knees and to prayer and to fasting. I, I can't help but think back to a few weeks ago when, when we were looking at Romans 8. Remember, and, and Paul said to us, you know, the, the whole of creation is groaning. Why is it groaning? It's groaning because it can't wait for you and I, the children of God, to be revealed. Why is it groaning? Because the world isn't right as it is at the moment. And I think what, what Anna and all of the Old Testament fasters show to us is, is fasting as groaning. As saying, I long for your kingdom to come, Lord. It is more important to me than the things that I desire. It's more important to me, Lord, that you be glorified, that your kingdom come, that the things that are at the moment be, be done away with, Lord, because they're not right. 84 years. Just picture the smile on her face when she saw Jesus and said, Lord, I'm sure there would have been a prayer. God, like Simeon, you have now acted, and I can die in peace because you have come. Wow! Fantastic. She's the last, I believe, of the Old Testament fasters and the last of the Old Testament prophets. But the question remains if, if she, as I'm saying, is an Old Testament faster, should Christians fast? Mark chapter 2. Uh, verse 18, it's, it's actually found in all of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is an interesting little section over there. We see some disciples of John come to Jesus and, and basically say to him, what's up? Disciples of John, they fast. Pharisees, they fast. Tell us, how come your disciples don't fast? Let me rephrase that. What they do is they come to Jesus and say, excuse me, teacher, are you, by the example of you and your disciples, are you saying that fasting is no longer appropriate for us today? That's their question. Is fasting non-Christian? 
I mean, they, the, the Jews had some very specific rules about fasting. Um, to be a proper fast, let me read this for you. Uh, it must be continued from one sundown till after the next when the stars appeared, and for about 26 hours, you must have the most rigid abstinence from all food and drink. Like the legalist on the video. Otherwise, God is not pleased. That was pharisaical fasting in the time of Jesus. And people noticed that that Jesus and his disciples weren't doing that. They weren't fasting. And it confused them. And they said, Lord, teach, not even Lord, teacher, rabbi, tell us, is fasting appropriate for your followers? And I love Jesus' answer. Because he doesn't turn around and say, yes, fasting is inappropriate for Christians. What he turns around and says is, it is actually so much better. He says, you know what, there's a time to fast and there's a time not to fast. You don't fast at a party. You don't fast when you're celebrating. Oh, I'm sorry, affecting the little one's ears. <laughs> you don't fast when, when you're at a wedding. How rude. Yeah, happy birthday. No, happy birthday. Happy wedding, but no cake for me, thanks. I'm fasting. Impossible. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not right. In fact, Jesus goes further and says, you don't fast while the bridegroom is with you. That's a huge statement in itself, which we don't have time to unpack, but, but suffice to say, Jesus saying, I am the bridegroom. These people are my bride. This is a celebration. The kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. You shouldn't be fasting now. You shouldn't be fasting now because God has acted miraculously. So is is fasting (laughs) non-Christian? Well, fasting shouldn't be the defining characteristics of Christianity. Because, you know, the defining characteristic of the gospel is not one of mourning, which is fasting, but one of joy. One of, look what God is doing. Look what great work God is doing. That's why Jesus goes on and he says this bit about patching up old cloth with new cloth and, and, and putting new wine into old wine skins. He says, you know, this is not going to work. Those old structures that... That, that old way of fasting where, where everything was about repentance and mourning and, and God, would you act because we are so desperate for you and, and we need you so much. That, 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 you, you try and put the gospel in that and it explodes. The wineskin can't hold the new wine of the gospel because the gospel is all about joy. So he's fasting Christian. It's not the defining characteristic, but but yes, it is. Jesus says there will come a time when the bridegroom isn't there. And then we will fast. At the moment, we are living in the time of the bridegroom's absence. He has ascended into heaven, and we are longing for his return. And yes, the, the, the key note 
of our lives should be one of joy because we, we have tasted and seen that God is good. We have the Holy Spirit as, as first fruits, evidence that, that Jesus is coming and, and yet we mourn and we fast because, because we so long for that to become reality in our lives. At the moment, it's, it's like we're... we're I, I was in Sydney a while back with my brother-in-law and, and in the hotel room every night he would Skype from his iPad to his kids to say goodnight. And they loved it that, that their dad, who was so far away, could, could see them and Skype them. But you know what? They couldn't reach out and give them a hug. That's, that's kind of like us at the moment. We've got the Spirit. We know that Christ is coming and that gives us such joy and, and such hope. And yet, we don't, don't we long for the day when, when we'll stand before Jesus and, and just be with Him completely and utterly? You see, in the Old Testament, people were fasting in expectation of God to act, saying, God, we need you to save. Nowadays, we fast because, God, you have acted to save. Won't you finish it? Won't you finish the work which you started? Won't you finish the work? Let me just finish with what Matthew, what Jesus is recorded as saying in Matthew, chapter 6. Read the whole chapter. It's it's about three different Christian disciplines. uh, Tithing, or giving, praying, and fasting. And and the thing, two things I want to pick up from here. First off, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. As if you might, you might not. Jesus says, when you fast. And I'd like to suggest that, that, that if we are desperately longing for Jesus' return, fasting is entirely appropriate. Jesus says, when you fast. And he says, you know what? If you're fasting in private... You know what, the Pharisees, they, they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays because those were market days. And everybody could see that you were fasting and were thence more righteous than them. Jesus says, come on. It's not about showing off to other people. It's about you and me. So put oil on your head. That's like, make yourself look good. Because it's about you and me. But listen to the very last verse of of our reading in Matthew. Not the very last one. He says, No one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. a big statement, isn't it? God will reward you for putting him first. What, what is the reward? A spelter figure? Might be a side effect, but 
chances are you'll put it up, you'll put the weight on very quickly. Once again, when you stop fasting, your body goes into a, a sort of a, boy, I better pack some extra pounds away in case he tries that again kind of mode. What is the reward? Obviously not other people being impressed. <laughs> what is the reward? The reward is God. You know what, if, if we stop and we say, God, I want to put you first. I want to say to you that I value you more than breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I want to say that I value you more than TV, more than my mobile phone. You know what, if we seek God, we will find Him. The other two times we read of fasting in the New Testament is when the disciples, Paul in particular among them, is fasting and saying, God, would you show us where to go next? And God does. That's why we're fasting this week, because we want to say, God, where are you taking us? I just want to finish with a story about, about a Jewish rabbi. He goes to his student and he says, my child, experiences of God can never be planned. They can never be achieved. They are spontaneous moments of grace. Almost accidental. And the student looked back at him and says, Teacher, if experiencing God is a moment of grace, almost accidental, why do we do all these spiritual practices and these disciplines? And the teacher looked back at him and says, You know what, so that we can be as accident-prone as possible. Because we want to see God work. I'd commend to you that you, you read through the brochure that I've given you. Um, more information on the back. And I challenge you to fast this week. God bless you and God keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and give you great joy, even as we hope for his return. John. challenge, Nick. Let's uh, stand together and uh, end our service um, in a prayerful song, uh, the benediction from Jude.